Hi, this is Pastor Beth from Gate City Vineyard Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and you are listening to this week's sermon. I hope you enjoy it and that it helps you to know Jesus just a little better. Many years ago, uh, it's actually funny now that we had uh, George just singing in Spanish for us because I was asked to sing at a wedding in Spanish. This goes back quite a number of years ago. Um, There was a couple in our church. She was American. And he was um, from Peru, and so he was going to have a lot of friends or a lot of family coming from Peru. And so he wanted us to do kind of a popular wedding song and uh, sing it in Spanish. So he asked me and this other guy to do this. Now, I know no Spanish, okay? None at all. Um, my partner, Rick, had knew a little bit of Spanish, but not very much. So, of course, we had the whole song translated And then I had a Spanish-speaking person, you know, read it to us a number of times so that we could get the pronunciation right, get the accent right. And so we went to this wedding, and we sang the song. And I've got to tell you, I think we did a pretty darn good job. You would have thought we knew Spanish. In fact, we did too good a job because the whole rest of the night, people from Peru were coming up to me and starting to talk in Spanish to me. (laughs) Because they thought I knew Spanish. And I would say, no habla espanol, you know, over and over again. And they'd be like, didn't you just sing in Spanish? Like, they just couldn't figure out how I wasn't really Spanish and how I couldn't really speak the language. See, my, my understanding of Spanish was only skin deep, <laughs> right? My connection with that culture was just enough to make me sound Spanish, but I really wasn't. I had, uh, it was a shallow, it was, it, was, it was a facade, really. Um, it was a false connection. And so in the same way, when we start to talk about becoming a healthy, multi-ethnic church, We need to make sure that our connection to other cultures is not equally shallow. We need to make sure it goes deeper, that it's more than just a surface nod to different cultures, that we happen to have a gospel song here or something in Spanish here, that it's just once in a while just to make it look like we're doing this thing on the surface. No, it needs to go all the way through what we're doing. It needs to come through all of it. And our uh, national director, Jay Pathak, talked about this at a seminar that I went to um, last year. And he said that the vineyard is also very committed to diversity and to creating a healthy multi-ethnic space in the vineyard for everyone to be part of. And it should reflect the kingdom of God. And he said, you know, we can't settle for a surface diversity, a tokenism, you know, a, a black person on a committee here, a woman on a committee here. No, it needs to some, and he used this phrase, he said, it needs, the dye needs to go all the way through the cloth. And I loved that phrase. I don't know if any of you have ever had, you know, a scarf or something that the, the, the print, the, the decoration was printed on the, on the front of it. And so it looks great on one side, but you turn it over and it's, it's just white on the back because the, it's just something printed on the outside. The dye doesn't go all the way through the cloth. And so he said, we want the dye to go all the way through the cloth. We want that our diversity, our attitudes, our actions, the reasons we do things, the the power dynamics, the listening we do all um, goes through the whole institution. It needs to last beyond just one leader. It needs to be part of our DNA. And that's our desire here at Gate City Vineyard. And so last week I took a lot of time talking about um, the biblical kind of basis for diversity and for multiculturalism in the church. Um, This is a two-week series, so I'm going to get a little bit more practical today. But I wanted to just touch briefly on what I said last week because I just think it's so important that we know that this is biblical. That the gospel demands multi-ethnicity in the church. And it started right from the launching of the church. I'm just going to, some of this will sound a little familiar to you if you were here last week, but it's worth repeating that the church was launched multi-ethnically. 
If you look at Acts 2, when the Spirit of God came on the people at Pentecost, what does it say about that? It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Each one heard their language being spoken. Again, what a weird thing for God to decide to do at the very opening of his church. It was giving everybody all these languages. His, his point at the very beginning was my church is going to be multi-ethnic and multilingual. It's going to welcome all people. Where the Spirit of God is moving, it moves among all people. And so that was how the church was launched. But then the church was also continued to be formed as a multi-ethnic space. The apostle Peter brought the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, uh, not really expecting anything big, and yet they all received the Holy Spirit. And I love the way the Jewish Christian leaders, who assumed this was all just for the Jewish people, uh, said, wow, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so right there, a church was formed in which Jews and Gentiles would sit next to each other and worship together and serve together. And this was crazy talk. This was outrageous. This was not what people expected. And yet this is what it was. And, and of course, Paul summarizes it by saying in Galatians, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, they were all one in Christ Jesus, in Galatians 3.28. It was groundbreaking. I also talked for a while about the leadership of the early church and how it was also multi-ethnic. Spend a little time in Acts 13.1, and you will see that there's a leadership team that sent out Paul and Barnabas, and they, when they sent them out, um, we see that this group was extremely diverse. We had in this group a Levitical Jew, an African Gentile, an African Jew, a royally connected Gentile, and a Jewish Pharisee. And I love the thought of how these people needed to work together to be in leadership together, how they needed to listen to each other and hear each other and put aside their own biases and prejudices and start to really listen, and also how they needed to be able to speak what they understood and what they knew because that group needed them as well. What a powerful thing that God said, this is how I want my church to operate from the very start. And finally, we see the church at the end of time, and we just had this read so powerfully At the end of the time, there is going to be a whole multitude worshiping the Lamb, and it's in Revelation 7-9. That's what was read today. Everybody say Revelation Revelation 7-9. I want you to know this verse. This is such an important verse uh, in the Scripture because this is how it's going to be at the end of time. It says this, a great multitude that no one could count from every what? (laughs) Say that again. Every nation, tribe, people and language they are all going to be gathered together standing before the throne and before the lamb worshiping all together all peoples all that's the diverse heavenly crowd that you and i are going to be in someday charles you need to write the song that would be a great song um i think it sounds good this is how if this is how god built and started and will end his church i don't know how we can do anything else but desire that for gate city vineyard I don't know how we can do anything else but desire a multi-ethnic experience in our worship here. We want to prepare ourselves for what we're going to be doing in heaven, and the gospel speaks to it, demands it. So that's, that's kind of what I talked about last week. And then the question this week is, okay, that sounds great. We want that, but how? How do we possibly move toward this? If this was easy, we'd already have done it already. <laughs> um, and yet, of course, um, we haven't. Um, we know it's so much easier 
to settle into monocultural spaces. It's just easy for everyone, right? People to be with people who think like you, who look like you, who come from the same background as you, who worship the same way you do. It is so much easier, and that's, of course, why we end up in those places. This is why there are over 200 churches here in Greensboro. Have you ever thought of how crazy that is? I mean, Greensboro is not that big a city. I have a perspective coming at this from the Northeast. We have a more population and much fewer churches. There's like 10 good ones where I come from. And you've got 200 here to choose from, more than 200 here to choose from. It's a little bit crazy. There's a church on every corner. And some of them are tiny and struggling. And you wonder, why don't they just combine and work together? Like, why? why? And you know why? Because everybody wants things done exactly their way. Exactly this way. This is the way church has to be done. And if I don't like the way church is done here, then I'm going to go here and have it done this way. And if I don't like it there, then I'm going to go to this one. And then if I don't like it at all, I'm just going to go start my own church. God must be calling me. i got to start a church to do all the things my way. And depending on who you are, the right way, the right way is to be more free in the spirit and take a whole long time and worship forever and never really get to the message. And uh, for other people, the right way is let's have a liturgy and let's get through this thing and let's, let's get to the word, depending on who you are. It's the right way. Right? For some of us, the right way is to have more gospel music. I think that might be right. <laughs> but there, for other of us, the right way might be to have more white contemporary praise music. For others, the right way might be to have more hymns and classical music. And we used to have that argument a lot. For some, the right way is to have better quality, more professional music, and preferably with a smoke machine and all the worship leaders in skinny jeans, right? That's, that's the right way. That's church. Some, for some, the right way is to be more political. Talk about the issues and tell us what the biblical answer is and who we should all vote for. And for some churches, the right way is to not talk about it at all. Don't touch politics. Don't touch social issues. Let's just talk about Jesus and never talk about anything else. And so, as a result, we have the white church and the black church and the Hispanic church and the Korean church and we have the conservative church and we have the liberal church and never the twain shall meet. So much segregation on a Sunday morning. And this is why we have all these churches. And let's, let me just say this. It's not wrong to have different churches which do things in a different way, of course. Um, there's a place for the traditional churches. There's a place for our charismatic churches. There's a place for uh, even ethnic churches which help a people to feel safe and comfortable um, and in their space. We understand that. Um, but I believe that we mustn't lose sight of the fact that God desired and designed his church to be multi-ethnic that it would fully reflect him and all his glory, that he's not, he's not a single way. He's diverse and glorious, and he wants his people to reflect that. And the more we get to see of that when we're gathered together on a Sunday morning, when we're doing ministry together, when we're doing church as a family together, the more we get to see what God is like. It helps us to see him more clearly, to see the diversity of what he has made and who he has made. And so that's why we desire it. It helps us. Not just the church, but it helps us. It makes us more compassionate, more empathetic, more, more broad, more understanding of things outside of our little experience, more flexible when we are with and serve and worship with people who are not just like us. And this really also fits the vineyard ethos. We call ourselves the radical middle. Um, and this is a real thing, and it's a hard thing. 
okay? It'd be way easier to be the radical this way or that way <laughs> than to be the radical middle. It is all so hard to be the radical middle. It's much easier to just say, we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to be just all this way and only people that agree with this point of view and this politics and this way of looking at scripture, we're all just going to be here. That's much easier. But um, that's not the vineyard way. Uh, we're, that's not the radical middle. And so as a result, we're going to have, for example, freedom in the spirit. We want the spirit to move here. But we're also going to be sensitive to those who may be visiting and need things to be a little structured, a little understood. We're going to have some white contemporary praise music, and we're going to have some gospel music, and I hope we're going to have a third kind of music and a fourth kind of music. We'll have some in Spanish. Maybe we'll someday, someday have it in Chinese if we ever have a person who speaks Chinese here. Let's, we're, going to, we're going to have a little bit of it all. We're going to have some people who want to help the poor and other people that want to march on Washington. We're going to have people that are really focused on racism and others that are really focused on abortion and other people that are focused on a third topic. They're going to have people that are focused on all kinds of issues here. And dare I say it, we're going to have people here who will want Trump to be president and we're going to have people here who are going to want Biden to be president and we're going to have people who don't want either one to be president. <laughs> it's okay. We're not going to shout down anyone else who has a different view, okay? This is how, this is how diversity works, and it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Are we up for this, church? Are you with me? Because I can't do this alone. I need to know that we're going to fight together for this, to be able to stand and worship next to people who are very different from us. We feel we're called to it. The board feels it, I feel it, that well, this is something that we can do. We're in Greensboro, which is a very diverse place. We should reflect the community that God's put us in. And that's why, that's why. So the thing for us to realize is that we're going to have to get used to not always see, having everybody see things our way. We're going to have to get used to things sometimes being a little different than we're used to, and that's okay. Um, we can be stretched. So here's, here's another way to say it. This is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. Love is not just loving the people who are easy to love and the people who are like you and who affirm you. This is what love looks like, that we love all. And so what does love look like in a healthy multi-ethnic church? I think we, we are a really loving group. So I think we've got a good shot at this church. I really do. Because we're a loving group of people and we know the love of God for one another. So let's deepen our love. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to increase our love for one another. Let's have you have my back and I have yours. Let's, let's assume the best of each other. I'll assume the best of you. You assume the best of me. Let's, let's have that love of God in us. Let's commit to working together. Let's commit to making this big, beautiful, diverse thing reflect the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to talk right now about three practical things we can do. Okay? These are things that every one of us can do. This is simple, really. Not always simple, but sort of simple. Three things that we can do to show what love looks like in a healthy, multi-ethnic church. And the first one I want to talk about is showing radical hospitality. Um, Paul and I love having people over to our house. It's one of our greatest joys, and it's one of the things that makes me super happy when someone comes to my house who maybe, you know, is not quite fully comfortable yet with us. Maybe they don't know us that well, or they've never been to our house. You know, you go to someone's house, you're like, what's going to happen? What's it going to be like? And so I love it when a person comes to my house, and after like a minute, they're suddenly feeling comfortable, and they're eating good food, and they're sitting on the couch, and we're talking, and we're laughing, and we're having a good time together. There's nothing that makes me happier. 
um, than to have that happen. And if you have the gift of hospitality and if you would like to have people, you know how do you make that happen, right? It's you think about the person that's coming. You don't think about yourself and what you need and want. You think about the person that's coming and what do they need? What, where are they from? What are they used to? What, who do they normally hang out with? What, what kinds of foods do they eat? Are they gluten-free? Are they vegetarian? What do they need? Are there, is there good seating? And is it going to be comfortable for them? Do I have some conversation starters so I know if it gets quiet, you know, how to kind of get it back going again? These are all things we do naturally if we are, are hospitable in our own homes. This is radical hospitality. Making It's about them. It's not about us. And I'd like to think about us loving others through radical hospitality here at Gate City Vineyard. What are the needs of those who might come in the door, who might be very different from us? Not our needs, but their needs. What might those needs be? What if they speak another language? Or they come from a very different church tradition or a different ethnicity? What if they, you know, are, feel, will they feel comfortable the way they're dressed, whether they're dressed up or dressed down? Um, do we have accommodations for those with disabilities so that they will feel like they can enter right in? Do we use a lot of churchy words? What about people who aren't churched, who've never, didn't grow up in the Baptist church and they don't know all the things and don't know all the words? Are we making them comfortable? Are we making sure that they feel welcome? Do we explain what we're doing? And uh, Jesus actually talks about this in Luke, about radical hospitality, about not just setting the table for people that we know and feel comfortable with. It says in Luke 14, 12 to 14, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. See, those would be the comfortable people, right? I know how to deal with them, especially the rich neighbors. That's good, right? No, he says, if you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Have we thought about inviting others, others to our table? We want them to come to the table at Gates City Vineyard. And I want to tell you this, that committing to radical hospitality affects every ministry of this church, okay? I'm just going to name a couple. The most obvious, of course, is greeting and cafe hosts. You have no idea how important this ministry is. Uh, who... Actually, raise your hand if you're a greeter or a cafe host. I know a few are out today. But you guys are so important. I hope you realize that. You are the first face people see, the first welcome that they receive, that the look you give them when they walk through the door, if it's one of welcome and ha happiness to see them, they will feel comfortable. If it's any kind of look of surprise, they will not feel comfortable. Um, and so they are so glad. It's such an important role. Never underestimate the value of, you know, a, a kind hello a hot cup of hot coffee, and showing people to their seat. That's a huge, huge part of welcome. So, so radical hospitality starts there. It starts right at the front door. But it also continues into worship and ministry and, and the music. Um, Charles and I talk often about this. How to explain what is happening when the spirit is moving so that the newcomer doesn't think this place has gone off the rails. <laughs> All right? I mean, sometimes it's like, what's happening here? And so and he's so good at this, right? At just kind of explaining where we're going. We got a couple minutes here, and we're going to do that. So just helping a person who is not familiar with our particular way of worship feel like they can enter in, feel like they can be a part of it. And we also talk, of course, about using different musical styles, and we're moving into that somewhat. Um, and, and, and so that anybody who comes here feels there's something for them, something that resonates for them. 
love to hear more Spanish singing over there, George. So we may we have to cue that up. But that's the balance, right? Sometimes we go longer in worship. Sometimes we go shorter. It's the radical middle. It's the radical middle. I think about this all the time in preaching and teaching. There's radical hospitality in how I preach or anybody who gets up here to preach or anyone who teaches in any setting in our church. There's radical hospitality there. I am always aware that I'm not preaching to people just like me. I'm preaching to all manner of colors of people. I'm preaching to black people and white people and brown people. And I'm, I'm preaching to people who know a lot about the Bible and have been studying it their whole life and people that have nothing, no idea about the Bible. I'm preaching to both men and to women. I'm preaching to people who love the Lord and have followed him for 40 years. And I'm preaching to people who aren't even sure if he's real. That's radical hospitality. To say, how can I love and respect each person? If you are whatever category of those you fit into, I respect and love the fact that you're here. You're welcome here. There's a place for you here. No matter where you've come from, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. I'm so glad you're here. And it's part of my responsibility to offer radical hospitality to you in the way I speak. That it's for that you are welcome here. And that's true of anyone who preaches or teaches here. If you lead a life group, if you run a prayer team, whatever it is, those, those places we can offer radical hospitality have thought of the people who may come in advance. And it matters who preaches as well. I'm, I want to work this year on getting a few more different preachers in here so just we get a feel for some different styles of preaching, different, different voices as well. And finally, of course, outreach is all about radical hospitality, right? It's all about reaching out, not just in this church, but beyond ourselves, whether it's grocery giveaway or backpack giveaway or church under the bridge. How, again, can we show radical hospitality? When those things come up, I hope you all sign up and say, this is important because this is how we show that we are radically hospitable to those out, outside of our church. It's not just for us, but it's for them as well. Isaiah talks about that kind of hospitality in Isaiah 58, 7. He says, is it not, this, the fast that he wants for us is not to share, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? So radical hospitality is, means that you and I are not walking in here waiting to be served. That we're not walking in here looking to judge. Oh, the music was good today, or not so good, or Beth was like a little long, or a little short, or like, that's not the point of why we're here. I hope it ministers to you, yes, but the point of why we're here is how can we show radical hospitality to one another so that everyone can receive from Jesus. He's the reason we're here, and we want to see that every person who comes in gets that opportunity. So this is, this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like looking to the needs of others. So now let me go to a second way that we can, we can show love. What does love look like when it comes to being a multi, healthy, multi-ethnic church? And it's through radical relationship. By this means that we start to have friendships with people that we never thought we'd have friendships with before. We start to reach outside of ourselves a little bit. There's nothing like having a friend from a different culture or nation or who speaks a different language or from a different political party, and you have that friend, and suddenly you realize, oh, maybe my view is not the only way to look at things. It just opens us up if you have a friend you respect who has a different idea than you do. And this is harder than you might think. I was telling Kay a personal story this week um, that I'm not proud of, <laughs> but uh, it really illustrates this point well. It goes back many years. It was, I was probably in my late 30s, 
And, um, you know, I had a particular political view of things, and most of my friends and family had the same kind of political view, and I kind of never really questioned it much and just assumed it was kind of right. And I knew other people had different views, but pretty much they were wrong. You know, so it was fine. Uh, you know, I just kind of had my own way of looking at things, and, and again, never questioned it. And then at the time, I was part of the, ch of a, of the school system. My kids were in school. And so there was another mom there, and she was of the very opposite political persuasion as me, all right? And unlike me, she was very vocal about it. She was always writing emails and doing stuff and talking about it and planning events and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, she was really a nice person, uh, and a lot of people really liked her and liked what she had to say. And I disagreed with, like, most of what she had to say, but, you know, I, that was, you know, she just was very nice about it and would put that out there. And she and I were friendly and cordial. I was never anything but kind with her. We never talked about politics or any of these issues together. But, and this is what I'm not proud of, Every time I would see her or listen to her talking to people about what she was talking about, and sometimes even when I would just pass her on the street, I just felt angry. I was just like, oh, she bugs me. How can she be so, so, so wrong? And everybody's listening to her. It just, it made me angry when I saw her. And, you know, I look back on this now, um, and I, with embarrassment, really. Um, but I asked myself the question, why was I so triggered by this person who just had a different opinion than me? Why was I so triggered by a person who was just freely expressing a different opinion than me? And, you know, she was nice. She never attacked me with her views. She was never pushy about it. She had, I'm sure, logical reasons to think the way she did. Why couldn't I respect that? And why was I so angry? And, you know, initially this week, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, obviously, it's because I'm a terrible person. Like, I'm just, you know, shallow and, and you know, terrible. And then all of a sudden, I started to think, wait a minute. I feel like I've seen a lot of that lately. I think a lot of us relate to that. That feeling of anger, we see it all the time in social media. People expressing simply an opinion, and everybody's mad about it, and offended, and um, why? Why? And so I think this is a good question for us to ask ourselves. Are there situations in which we are just so angry because someone has a different opinion than us? Why? Therapists tell us if you have an angry reaction to something, you should look at why. Right? What's underneath it? Where is that coming from? And is it coming from a fact that maybe we feel threatened by the fact that they think something different? Maybe um, we feel like we have to be right. Maybe we feel that um, we see people as their opinion and not as a person. I don't know. But you know what? I will tell you, the Lord dealt really strongly with me. <laughs> I went a, probably a good year avoiding this person, and every time I would see her, I would get a little angry inside. My stomach would like, and I'd get angry. And finally, the Lord talked to me, and he said, you call yourself a minister of the kingdom, and this is how you react? This feeling you're having is not of me. It is not of me. You think it's self-righteous you know, anger. It's not. It's a lack of love. You need to love that person. Aren't they more important as a person than your opinion and being heard in your opinion? Aren't they more important than you being right? 
and making sure they know you're right. God's really tough sometimes, isn't he? <laughs> and I'm being very honest with you, but I would tell you that I imagine a lot of us have that experience of feeling pretty frustrated around people who just don't see it the way we do. And God wants us instead to love, to love. And of course, this is why we tend to either consciously or unconsciously surround ourselves with people more like us because we don't get triggered so often. <laughs> if they have the same opinion as we do, then we won't get so annoyed and feel that feeling, which is really hard. It's a toxic need to be right and to be heard. Um, and so we live in our little bubbles. And the problem with the bubbles that we live in of people who just think like us and, and, and think like us is that, that it breeds a self-righteousness. It breeds a, a narrow thinking. It breeds, um, it's actually how conspiracy theories form and stay because you're just only hearing from people who think just like you. We never get to hear something outside of ourselves. And so this leads me, this story is leading me to radical relationship. How do we break through all that? How do we stop that? We have relationship. Probably the best thing I could have done was had that woman for coffee. And if we sat down and talked about our kids and talked about where she's from and I talked about where I'm from and we got to know each other, we probably, I probably could have gotten over this much better. Um, that's how we love each other is we get into relationship together and we start to learn from each other. And so this is what love looks like. One of my um, best friends from college, her name is Nicole Doily. She has a podcast that's called Let's Talk About Race. Um, and she often says the best cure for racism is diverse friendships and a humble heart. And um, I think that's true not just as a cure for racism, but as a cure for any kind of differences to have relationship with one another. It will change your heart and your perspective about all kinds of things. And so it's a good question to ask yourself. And I ask myself, who do you spend your time with? Who are you hanging out the most with? Are they all people who think like you, who vote like you, who look like you, who maybe are your same age, uh, in your same stage, who speak your language? How many friends do you have that are different from you in some way? And how can we have more of those, more of those in our life? I love the way Nicole put this in a teaching I heard her give once. She said, of course, we're all going to have friends who are like us, of course. But also make sure the pool from which you draw friends is large enough to include a tremendous variety and diversity of people. Have your window wide enough open to let people in who look different, have a different color from you, come from a different country than you, whose original language is different from you, who vote differently than you, who are differently abled than you are, who are in a different life stage than you. This is how we begin to break down walls and stereotypes. Amen. Amen. And she also said, it's a little like when you go to a potluck and everybody brings potato salad. You're like, that's boring. <laughs> we need a little more than just potato salad. We want all, all the dishes, all the flavors. When we're only with people like us, we don't see our own blind spots because they have all the same blind spots that we do. Our blind spots only come out when we're with people not like us. So this is an encouragement for us as a church. This is something we can do. We can do this tomorrow. Begin to reach out to people who are not like you, who are different than you, and not just in race or ethnicity, but also age. I want to just say right now that we have a, an influx of new younger families and singles who have come into this church, and I want to say to all older folks, they need you. They would love it if you would say to them, hey, you want to have coffee? Hey, you want to meet at the park and bring your kids and we'll talk. We'll just get to know each other. That is true. And there's a young person telling us that right now. Amen. 
Stop waiting, older folks, for them to come to you. They're not going to do that. You wouldn't have done that when you were their age. It's your job now. You've been around the block. It's your job to say, I like that person. I want to, I want to get to know them a little bit. You don't have to have all the wisdom in the world. You could have screwed up your whole life and say, I, I've got some lessons to tell you from the way I've screwed it all up. Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the expert. You just have to love. Radical relationship is about love. It's about loving one another. Amen. The final thing I want to say about uh, radical hospitality, radical relationship, is that we also need radical solidarity. The third way to become a healthy multi-ethnic church is to realize that we have to know that we have each other's back. I call that solidarity. This is what love looks like, and this gets tricky, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that we're going to always see eye to eye on everything. The goal of our unity is not agreement, okay? We're not going to always agree with each other. We'll vote differently. We'll think differently on social issues. But here's what's important. Even if we do not fully agree, I really believe that to be in unity with someone, we have to still care about the things they care about. They may not be the things that we care about or that are a part of our experience or our point of view, but we need to be able to stand in our brother and sister's shoes and say, this means something to you, so I'm gonna, it's going to mean something to me. There was a great pushback in 2020, right after the murder of George Floyd. And this is well documented. Um, this is not news that many black people who were attending mostly white spaces, white churches, even multi-ethnic churches, ended up leaving those churches at that time and going back to black churches. Why? It was because of the reaction and the reaction of the white churches as a result of this situation. They, they're mostly white church White-led churches did not acknowledge the pain and the fear that was going on in the black community. And so they refused to say things like, that was wrong. It's a wrong thing that happened. Um, they minimized the reality of what happened, the, the brutality of it, because they got it wrapped up in political situations and forgot to look at the fact that this was a brutal act on a person. And worse yet, or worse yet, they said nothing at all. They just went on as if nothing had happened. Let me say this, whatever your views, whatever a person's views is on systemic issues and racism and police training and all of that, it was wrong not to say this was a terrible situation. It was wrong not to, to minimize the situation. People were hurting. People were afraid. People were devastated. It was a devastating situation. When my brothers or sisters are hurting, it is my job to go to them and say, I am sorry you're hurting. How can I help you? How can I stand with you? How can I speak up for you? How can I put my arm around you and walk with you through this situation? That's what we're called to do. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. And we have to be careful to not say, well, that was a terrible thing, but, you know, blah, 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 and get our little opinion in there. When you are weeping with those who weep, Scripture says weep with those who weep, that is not the time to say you shouldn't be crying, you know, because of this. It's the time to say, I'm sorry this happened, and I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to hear your heart. I'm going to be burdened for the thing that burdens your heart, even if it doesn't particularly burden my heart. But I'm going to be burdened for you. That's what love looks like. And so I believe in a healthy, multi-ethnic church, we need to show a measure of solidarity. 
with one another on a host of issues, especially toward those that are oppressed or suffering. And if we don't understand why people are oppressed or suffering, that's when we go back to radical relationship, get in relationship with some people and listen to what they go through in their life. So again, our objective is not agreement in all things. We won't. We already talked about that. Um, but we should be able to say, I care about what you care about because I care about you. And that's, that's love. That's what we're meant to do. I think about these things a lot. Um, I am very aware that I come at things as a white woman. That's my bias, my background, my education, whatever I have. That's where I come from. I don't think of things even like a guy thinks about them. I don't think about them as a black person thinks about them or a Hispanic person. Um, I, you know, I don't speak for all that, and that's why I need all the voices of y'all to come to me and to talk to me. And I want to be in relationship with you so that I hear. Um, I know the needs to pray for and to be aware of some things that I'm not even aware of. I often think when I'm in a passage or when I'm preaching or, you know, thinking of something to preach, I often think, you know, I wonder how a, a black pastor would preach about this. I wonder how a Hispanic church would address this issue. I wonder how the Asian churches think about this. I wonder how maybe a higher, higher economic church would, or a lower economic church would think about it. I think about this stuff all the time, and in fact, I want you to know that when I go off on these conferences, and I'm with other pastors, whether it's a vineyard conference or the one that has all the different uh, denominations that's in Greensboro, I drive the other pastors crazy, because I'm always asking them questions. I'm like, so what are you saying about this? And what are you saying about that? And how do you handle this situation and this social issue that's been coming up? How are you talking about it? And they're like, oh, <laughs> they see me coming. I did at the last one. I asked them, okay, so how, what are you doing about the election coming up, you know, with Trump and Biden and all that? Like, what are you going to say about that? And they all just look at me like, Ugh. Like, <laughs> they don't know what they're going to say. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe the less said the better. But um, I, I want to learn. Let's all learn from each other. Let's all learn from each other. This takes time takes us getting to know each other. This is one of the reasons we're doing the multi-ethnic conversation study. I really encourage you to become a part of it if you can. It's going to be just five nights, five Thursdays at seven o'clock, and we're just going to have conversations. The goal of this is not to push any sort of agenda or a sort of position. The goal is to start to just have conversations cross-culturally, okay, to hear from each other. Don't come ready to give a position. Don't come with a bias. Just come as you, what you bring to the table. That's valuable, and we want to hear from you. Um, we're gonna, I want to urge you, you have to sign up for this, okay? Um, this is not just to like, show up when you feel like it. We want you to get a book ahead of time. The first, before the first week, you need to have done the first week of the study. It's like a, it's like a daily little uh, study, a little devotional. You could do it all in one day, or you could do it over the course of a week. But um, before the 22nd, you'll have needed to uh, done the first week. So grab a book. If you want to do it, sign up. Um, but we're also going to be putting you into special tables uh, and groupings, and so we need you to sign up ahead of time so that you know we know you're coming. Please don't take a book if you're not going to come, just because I don't know that I have enough books, but I would love to see so many of us come out for this. I think it's going to be a great experience. We have our leaders have been trained um, by some other folks that have been doing this in another church, so we're excited about that. So let me bring this to a close here. This is what love looks like. God has given you and me a great love, has he not? How much has he loved us? How much has he loved us? How much has he sawn through all of our weirdness and our problems and our personality? And he just loves us. And so he's given us so great a love to give out, to give out. 
And so, you know, when I was rebuked by the Lord over my reaction to my friend, he gave me something to pray over and over again, and I would just pray, Lord, help me to love. So every time I would see her, and I'd get that little feeling in my stomach, I'd pray, Lord, help me to love. Help me to love. Every time I'd hear something on the news that I didn't like or disagreed with, Lord, help me to love. When somebody would be spouting off about one candidate or another, I'd say, Lord, help me to love. And we can only do this because of the love we've received. That's the only way it happens. I want to invite the team if they would come back on, up at this point because um, I want us to practice this about saying, Lord, help me to love. I had somebody say to me this week, and this is not a churchgoer, mind you, but we got talking about multi-ethnic churches and things, and the person said to me, if anybody should get this right, the church should get it right because you're all centered on the same thing, on Jesus and his love. I'm like, yeah, it should work better here than anywhere else. I don't know why it doesn't, but it should because we have Jesus' love in our hearts, and so we can love each other without, without need to be right or proved or anything like that. We can just love each other. And so I want us to just close our eyes for a minute. And I'd like you to just say, Lord, help me to love. Lord, help me to love. Say it a few times. Lord, help me to love. And now I want you to bring to mind the person that kind of bugs you. The person whose opinion on whatever matter they seem to talk about kind of irks you you all bothered and I want you to say Lord help me to love Lord help me to love I want you to think about the person who's always got an issue to bring up who disrupts family gatherings because they're always talking about politics or social issues the person that you know thinks very differently than you that you kind of avoid Say, Lord, help me to love. Sit with that. Lord, help me to love. Lord, help me to love. I confess, Lord, my lack of love. I confess my lack of love. Lord, help me to love. Lord, help me to love. We build our life around you, Jesus, because of the love you have for us so we can pour it out to others. I'm going to sing this last song, and as we do, I want to encourage you, if you don't even want to sing, to just keep praying, Lord, help me to love. I'm telling you, it's a powerful prayer. Use it tomorrow when you're at work and the person drives you crazy, always still driving you crazy. <laughs> Say, Lord, help me to love. Use it as we go through this year with all the stuff that's going to be happening up to the election. Just start saying, Lord, help me to love. If you'd like prayer this morning, we want to invite you. This is a time of ministry for you uh, to receive from the Lord. So there's my prayer, just one prayer team today up here in the front. So we just invite you to come up and, pray, and get prayed for. Continue to just think in your heart, Lord, help me to love. Help me to love. 
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. If you would like to learn more about Gate City Vineyard, you can find out more at our website at gatecityvineyard.com. Have a wonderful and joyful day.